Closing down another month in this year. School is kind of in full swing, Labor Day next week, and just getting kind of into that fall schedule and routines a little bit. For me, it just kind of reminds me of my to-do list to get ready for the fall and how much more I still have yet to do, but it's good to come and just kind of relax and slow down a little bit um, from our busy weeks to be able to worship with you all, to glorify the Father. Now, last week, we looked at the early church and what they were to be about in terms of the confidence that they were to have. And we looked at Hebrews 10. Um, for me, it was one of those messages that were just fun. It came easy. It was uh, strong points within it, and it was just a lot of fun to go through. The next few, however, are going to be a little bit more challenging, especially for me as we go through some of these things because they're going to be dealing with some issues that maybe we struggle with in terms of traditions, in terms of how we're approaching these scriptures. Um, over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, the same type of topic that Paul speaks on, but in three different letters, um, all having the same point with some different emphasis on each one, um, different emphasis that I, can, that I think will strike us uh, differently. Um, you know, I've thought about going through each of these three passages in one week, you know, hitting each one for 10 minutes, but I like to break down passages more than that to where maybe I can fit in two uh, passages in one week and then leave one of them, you pick which one for the third week. So instead of that, I'm going to just focus one week at a time on each passage. Um, hopefully then the message will be shorter, again, something I need to work on. Um, but something that can help us zone in a little bit deeper to devote one week to each passage. And again, the main area of address will be the same, but I'm hoping that it will strike differently each time. Um, the passage that we're going to read this week is found in 1 Corinthians 10. If you have your Bibles, you can join me there. I will, I'm not having a PowerPoint today, so we're going to be primarily in 1 Corinthians 10, a little bit in 1 Corinthians 9 as well. In chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 23 today and read to the end of the chapter. Beginning in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising a question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of, con of conscience. Do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I for which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, do not, I, I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that many may be saved. Father, as we 
go to your word today. I just pray that you would help us to understand uh, your truths and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we have an issue that's kind of going on in the early church that in this part of the passage Paul is dealing with as a hypothetical, like giving a situation that if this is a rise, it rises, this is how we should type of respond, but it is a very real issue that the early church is dealing with and struggling with. Um, he talks about this type of an issue in the rest of chapter 10 when it comes to idolatry. Food being sacrificed to idols all the way back into chapter 8. He talks about that there as well. And he touches on the same subjects and even quotes our same first verse here, verse 23, back in chapter 6, verse 12. As he says that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Now what Paul is speaking to here, in essence, is the areas of freedoms or liberties that you have in Christ specifically within this section dealing with eating certain foods. But again, overall, dealing with the liberties and the freedoms that you have in Christ. You know, when we think about that, how do we understand our own freedoms? You know, Paul is saying how you exercise your freedoms without restraint, those times it could not build up the body. Those times it could enslave you to sin again based on how you are exercising your freedoms and he's laying out how within christianity there's this healthy balance or tension between individual freedoms and corporate responsibility trying to keep those two things in balance is not always an easy task but he is teaching that you want to put others interests over your own he's covering a lot of what he's already talked about within our section that we're going over today Uh, about concerning food that they're allowed to eat, what they're not allowed to eat, and things like that. He's addressed this issue, but he's now laying out three different principles that we want to look at, especially within these first two verses when it comes to corporate responsibility and how their individual freedoms play into that. He is telling them that though you have the right to do all things, it may not be beneficial or helpful to others. Secondly, if you practice your freedoms... You may not build up fellow Christians or brothers and sisters that might be around them or others that might be around them. And third, Christians are not to merely seek out their own good, but the good of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and or their neighbor. So with these principles in mind, when was the last time that you thought about the importance of a neighbor and their needs over and against your own. When was the last time you thought about exercising your freedoms or the, the desire to be able to do so more often? You know, do we ever think about that or do we just do whatever we want to do? I mean, you have various points of time or various areas of your life that you just kind of do that. And then how do you balance something called self-care versus your own interests or looking at the interests of others? How do your freedoms get mixed in with all of that? You know, with the Corinthians, and the reason why Paul is addressing this is because the way that they viewed their freedoms was a way to chase after their own interests, their own selfish desires. So they were running after whatever they wanted to do without a care of what others might think. 
They were just indulging themselves in the pleasures of this world. Now, I'm not positive. I don't know if there's a link to the American culture and the Corinthian lifestyle there. It might be a, too big of a jump for us to see selfish desires in our culture. I don't know. I'll have to think about that a little bit more. But there might be some similarities that we need to look at. You know, Paul, on the other hand, when it came to the issues of freedoms, he viewed them as an opportunity to benefit and build others up for Christ. So he's sharing all of these principles with this church. You know, you have the freedom in Christ to do anything. And in Paul's context, this would mean he's speaking against the legalism that would still be found in the Jewish faith, considering the Mosaic law and all of the laws that the Pharisees would be placing on them. So he is speaking to this type of thing. Now, when we talk about the Jewish faith and understanding the freedoms that you have, if you come from that type of mindset, um, it, primarily it would be dealing with the ceremonial law that Jesus fulfills. Uh, he sums up the moral law in his commandments of love God and love others. You know, and again, that is part of maybe sanctification. It has nothing to do with salvation, to where you're earning yourself way by completing the law. So he's speaking about freedoms and how people are mentally dealing with that understanding. You know, the real question that he is posing to them is not whether an action is lawful or whether it is right or whether it's good, but it's how does it benefit others and glorify God. You know, true Christian conduct is not based on whether you have the right to do something, but whether or not what you're doing is honoring God and helpful to those around you. The freedoms were not something to brag about or to use as a way to chase after sinful indulgences. So Paul's dealing with this problem in the church. And a little bit earlier, he goes and he explains his ministry mindset, which I think is very helpful for us. If you could turn back to chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 19 through 23, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, which is faith, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And we see his purposes in this passage. Right? We see his purposes of why he is doing the ministry that he's doing, why he is talking about these freedoms. Now, how does this translate down to our own lives? What are the purposes that we claim in the things that we do? Whether that's our jobs, our families, our hobbies and interests, how do we spend our time? Are we doing it all for the sake of the gospel? Are we doing things to pay our bills, put food on the table, have a nice vehicle, go on vacation, buy Christmas presents? You know, none of those things are necessarily bad, but what are the motivations behind seeking them? 
know, Paul is putting forward that he is doing everything for the sake of the gospel message. Where is the gospel in what we're doing and how we're living our lives? Can you pinpoint those times of where Christ is in a typical day? You know, most of the time we're on just cruise control and we're just going through our days. Where is God's involvement? We'll address this a little bit deeper um, in the last few verses. But I love his focus here as he says at the end, for the sake of the gospel message, so that some may be saved. He's putting others' needs over his own. So that when he is looking at the freedoms that he has, the gospel has the utmost importance to where when he's looking at others, it is their salvation that he is concerned about. Is what he is doing beneficial or helpful? Or is it just about him? Is what we're doing, is the communications we have with others beneficial to them towards salvation? Or is it just about us? Now, I'd venture to say that we all have areas of selfishness that we need to deal with in different times in our lives that it, as it creeps up. We just need to be aware of that to be able to repent and to grow. And, you know, when we look at others' needs and how to benefit them, how to build others up, how should we define others? Because at times, I find this mindset in the church and the conversations that I have that we only want to deal with people in the church when it comes to thinking of others. There's this belief that we shouldn't associate much with the world. I mean, it's difficult enough at times dealing with people in the church. Throwing in non-believers, too, is too much. You know, even within this context of what Paul is saying here in chapter 9, Paul is saying doing everything for the sake of gospel, we still at many times focus only on those in the church. I think to help with this understanding, he gives this hypothetical in our passage. He also uses the term neighbor. You know, you look at verse 24 at the end, he uses that term neighbor. And I think that we should understand it the way that Jesus uses that term. You know, he, he's asked that question of who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives them the parable of the good Samaritan. And it is not somebody who's like me. It's not somebody that's going to look like me, think like me, act like me, believe like me. It's somebody that I would consider an other, an untouchable. Somebody less than desirable. Now, of course, neighbor can mean family, those in the church and everybody in between. But the point of what Jesus is trying to do is change the mindset of the Jewish belief of this exclusionary and isolationist type of thinking to where it's only about the Jews because we are God's people and everybody else is less than. Everybody else is a Gentile. Looking a little bit more for our context, look at verse 27 in chapter 10. And again, these verses talk about something that's very real that's going on, but he's giving this hypothetical situation of if this happens. And he's trying to get, Paul's trying to get this point about how to look to others or for others' needs over ourselves. And he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and, and you want to go, you desire to go, then go, eat whatever is set before you, unless somebody raises an objection to what's been sacrificed to. 
And even then, you don't eat because of their conscience, the one that brought it up, not because of your own conscience. Kind of paraphrasing that hypothetical a little bit. But there's a few things that we want to point out in that. First, being invited by an unbeliever. It's kind of an interesting thought. How does a person become saved? Kind of a million-dollar question, isn't it? Well, probably, maybe, they would probably have to start off as an unbeliever first. You have to be unsaved in order to become saved. Probably, they would have to hear the gospel message from a believer. So there has to be an interaction between the believers and the unbelievers going on. This idea for the church to be cloistered up and isolated for the the mentality of, pastor, we pay you so you do it all. It's a ridiculous notion. That's not what the church is to be about. It's not to be this social club and you get to get in and you know the password and you can come in. The church is just the people of God doing the things of God. That's what we need to be about. See, it was the issue that the Israelites had. You know, instead of doing what they were supposed to be doing, they thought too highly of themselves because they were the elect. They were God's chosen people. But what were they chosen to do? Tell the nations about God, to be a blessing to the nations. But as they thought too highly of themselves, they begin to think, well, we're God's people. We can just do whatever we want. You guys, well, tough luck. You know, it's the same type of trap that the church can fall into. And we need to heed that warning. Because there are opportunities every day for us to share the gospel message with unbelievers around us. Now, yes, we are not to be guided or run by the world in this culture. But we need to be engaged in it in order to bring the truth that we have of God to bring the gospel message, to be light in this dark world. And the freedom that he is hitting on here in this hypothetical is that he is free to eat anything that he has been given thanks for. Now, if someone raises an objection about a food, that person, whether they were a believer or an unbeliever, um, they would be at a point where they are not understanding the liberties that he would have as a Christian. The whole issue with the sacrificing of foods. Sometimes foods were sacrificed to pagan gods. Those foods would then go down to the meat market to be sold to the people. If that meat market was, if that meat was sold and you took it home and you ate it and they traced it back, they would say, that's unclean, you can't eat it. Paul's saying, it's ridiculous, everything is God's, this is a false god, obviously there's nothing there, so you're fine to eat it. But it would become a stumbling block for people. So Paul is saying, okay, to make sure that we don't make others stumble, just give up your liberties for now. You know, when we think about what that is, it's difficult. Because most people, whether a believer or an unbeliever, have certain presuppositions. They have certain traditions that they hold on to. Um, And if something happens to those expectations of how a Christian is supposed to act or respond or behave, it's like a glass wall shattering. 
It becomes a stumbling block that they can't get over. Um, and you know, if you break those walls down too soon, it can cause them to stumble. If that person is an unbeliever, it might negate a chance to share the gospel. If that person's a believer, it might cause some strife and conflict, probably some backbiting and somebody leaving a church. People are fun. But you know, it's because we're not always mind readers, we're not always going to know the expectations that others have on a Christian, on you. So it's important to have a relationship with that person. And until you know their beliefs, their views on things, maybe tread lightly. Have hard conversations about the expectations that people have. Um, because there are disagreements. There's always going to be disagreements because there's always varying opinions on things. You know, when you think about what constitutes a freedom, you're going to have different opinions even in this room. And, you know, it's, it's important to understand I'm also, you know, I'm not making an excuse to say that I can go chase after whatever I want because I'm free in Christ to do anything, even if that means a sinful desire. We're not saying that. You know, I'm not saying make sure you go over four towns to a bar to have a drink. That way nobody from church sees you. Drinking. It's a wonderful example. Today, in terms of how we understand drinking, can be closely related to what Paul is dealing with in this hypothetical in terms of the Corinthian church. Because depending on what tradition you were raised in, depending on the background that you have, you might view drinking differently. Is it a freedom or a liberty? Is it a sin? I love just letting it sit right there. <laughs> and I love, I'm going to call you out, I'm sorry, but I, I love God's timing and humor. I don't know if you know the shirt that you're wearing today, but it was absolutely hilarious as I'm praying and I'm looking at that. It's like, he doesn't know I'm going to talk about this, but it's just perfect. But, you know, you think about this topic, and it can cause people to stumble. You know, the Bible speaks against drunkenness, and it speaks for moderation. However, again, maybe you grew up in a tradition where you said drinking is a sin. Maybe you have alcoholism in your past or a family member who does, so you take a strong stance against that. Maybe you think that you have the freedom to have a few drinks. Again, this would be an issue that's very similar to what Paul is dealing with. And the irony is not lost on me that just by bringing up the subject could cause somebody to stumble because we're talking about drinking in church. That's not my intent. Instead, it is to show the wrestling that Paul is dealing with and how at times with different issues in our life, we have to do the same type of wrestling. And it's better to bring these things into light rather than keeping them hidden in the dark. But you know, our focus, as Paul is saying, should be at our very best to try not to be a stumbling block as best as we can. Don't give an unbeliever a reason to not believe and try not to allow a believer to or be a cause for their stumbling in their walks. Again, easier said than done, but the focus can be seen within this passage. So within these three principles that are being stressed by Paul, 
and how they're to interact with each other. They want to be gospel-minded in everything that they're doing, thinking of others' needs and interests over their own for the sake of winning some. Now, thinking of others' interests over your own. So, who else is a people pleaser out there? Show hands. Now, are you only raising your hands to make me feel better? (laughs) Personally, I'm done being a people pleaser, as long as you guys are okay with it. I plan to start tomorrow, so hoping that it would be good. In all seriousness, though, as you read verse 33, let's reread that. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. When you read verses like that, you talk about this type of subject, and it almost feels like there's vindication right there in the Bible for me being a people pleaser, right? I mean, I'm supposed to put others' interests over my own, but yet I also hear all the time how we shouldn't be a people pleaser. So what gives? Where's the balance within this? How can we understand that? And, you know, when we think about being a people pleaser, Paul's not using it in the same sense. He's not saying look to others' interests to be a people pleaser in the way that we would understand it. Because the way that we normally understand it is where we are looking for approval, acceptance, affirmation, validation from others rather than God. Where our motivations are based on how others view us, our own image, Uh, Maybe we're trying to avoid a conflict or some form of persecution, so we're doing things for other people, right? So when we're doing it that way, the motivation is about us, and it's not about God. And that's the wrong approach because you're going to be burned out and you're going to be disappointed because people are people, and people will use you and they will abuse your good intentions that you might have to get whatever they want. You know, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that we're looking for, that approval that we're looking for, will not be filled by people. They will constantly disappoint us. That's why we need to transfer that, that core longing that we all have, that desire for love, that desire for affirmation. We have to transfer that from people to Christ, to where our identity is wrapped up in Him. Others, I mean, they might wound you, they might hurt you, And it hurts, absolutely. But at the same time, our fulfillment comes from Christ and not from others. You know, when we think about how to seek favor and seek glory from God, where we're trying to win them over for Christ as Paul did. Again, remember in chapter 9, verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And he echoes this in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the consistency that we see from Paul in his teachings on this is to do everything for the glory of God. You know, and as Jesus says of the law, it's fulfilled as you love God and love others. So focus on doing those things. So if you're doing things with a servant's heart, you're doing it for the love of God. And if that's your motivation, by all means, continue to serve. Continue to do that. But if you're doing it to gain acceptance from people, it's a dangerous mindset down a misguided road. You simply have to ask yourselves the question of why you're doing something. Am I doing it to be praised, to be recognized, to be affirmed, to feel that love? 
do I like the praises of man? Or do I like serving God in the ways that he has gifted me? And, you know, we can cross over back and forth very quick, often in our lives. We just, again, need to be bringing awareness of those types of attitudes to help us understand the type of path that we're on. So when we're speaking about freedoms in terms of looking to others over our own interests, there's also the inevitable question of when do we speak up and say something about how I'm actually free to do this? When do we speak boldly the truth that is in the Bible, especially to another believer? You know, many times when there's a restriction of freedoms, there is a form of legalism that's been going on. Um, And again, it's difficult to always point those out in healthy ways. So how do we handle those times when it comes up? When are we supposed to say something? You know, I think of Peter and Paul in Galatians. When Peter acts differently when the people from Jerusalem come in, he's acting differently now from, to the Gentiles. And Paul calls him out on it. He's boldly saying, look, you're wrong in this area. And you need to correct how you're, how you're behaving, how you're acting. So how to boldly speak the truth to brothers and sisters when they need to hear that and balancing that without causing them to stumble. Honestly, it's very tricky and it's very situational. Try to treat something like that in an individual way. You know, in our Christian walks, when to speak up, I believe, needs to be guided by the Spirit. Normally, how I handle something like that is as people share different convictions and beliefs that I think are a little bit more on the legalistic side, if I have a good relationship with that person, I might press in and I might ask different questions. Um, But I have to weigh the value of addressing something in terms of will they hear it? Um, Will they get angry or defensive and more staunch in their positions? Do I have the capacity just to let something slide or let it go? Or when is that time? Again, leaning into the spirit. Usually I ask questions. It's an interesting thought. Where do you find that in scripture? That is our standard. That's where we have to come back to. And again, based on the type of react or the types of relationships that you have with a person might dictate how quickly you can get to that point in a gentle way. You know, because sometimes people will hold harder to a tradition or to a pastor or to a book or to a systematic than they do scripture because that's what they've heard their whole life. Or maybe that's how they've seen things lived out. And truth hasn't necessarily been spoken into that area of their life. You know, there might be differences of interpretation. And if there are, then maybe you can have a discussion about that and both help each other grow as iron sharpens iron. That would be ideal. But normally what happens in those types of situations is you bear with it, you bear with it, you bear with it, And then finally, you've had enough, and you blow up in anger. And you try to shut the other person down with your truth, with how you're right. And that's not a healthy way to handle things. You know, when we see this type of thing happen, we can see it in larger senses, in more of your maybe cross-denominational policies and views on things, whether it's Baptist to, to Pentecostal maybe, or Catholic and Protestant. Um, You can see this happening in politics quite a bit. You know, you think about holiday seasons and family discussions. 
Uh, if somebody's super conservative and ultra-liberal, those are always fun times, aren't they? But know that both sides have that anxiety. Both sides think the other side is wrong in how they're operating or how they're thinking. You know, I believe as Paul teaches us here in other places in his letters, it goes back to our motivations. You know, do we want to be right and make other, others believe in the way that we do? Or are we trying to glorify God in everything that we say and do? And for many of us in those instances, we think we're probably doing both. That we're right and we're honoring God by shutting down some heresy. Think about it. Most Christians have the belief that everything that they believe is correct. They have the right take on everything. But within these issues and conversations, many times the issue tends to be not a top-tier type of issue, but it gets elevated to a top-tier. So let's take drinking, for instance. Drinking might be like a tier three type of thing, but then you attach salvation to it, to where if you drink, you're not saved, then it becomes a top, a top tier thing, kind of blown out of proportion. Again, where do you find that in scripture? Where drinking is tied to salvation or not drinking is tied to salvation. So when we find these types of issues, there's a lot of emotional things that are tied to it as well in terms of the types of conversations that we have. If you deal with anger, if you deal with blowing up on people, I would suggest memorizing something like Proverbs 15.1. It's a good one to memorize. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How can we be more gentle and how we speak. I mean, you probably have those people in your life that you think they've never been angry a day in their life. You know, I think of a few of you here that I'm like, there's no way that you could ever be angry because you're just so kind, so sweet, so gentle. You know, I think of James chapter one, where he says, know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know, the tricky part of looking towards others' interests over our own is that we need to be involved with others. We have to be a part of their life. We have to be able to know what their interests and needs are in order to put them over our own. We have to be able to listen to what they're saying. How many times in a conversation are we trying to get our words in? Are we trying to dominate the conversation? Are we trying to control the flow of what's being said? The word says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Be slow to get angry. Patience. And again, it goes back to that tiered fountain picture to where if we have a stronger relationship with God, that patience, that fruit of the Spirit can flow into the other areas of life, to your, to your marriage, to your kids, to your workplaces. You know, if you're putting all of your effort and everything you're doing into your work, then you're not building into your relationships 
that are above that or that are supposed to be above that. And you're going to get dried out and you're going to get angry and you're going to get short and you're not going to look to others' needs because you're trying to survive and you're trying to think of different ways that I can get mine. Whereas if you're working on your relationship with the Lord, then you're going to learn things like contentment, how to deal with plenty, how to deal with little. But you're content because you know where your identity is, and it's not based on the things that you do. It's not based on the money that you have, the cars that you drive, the work that you do. But you are his, and that is enough because his grace is sufficient. When we look at the motivations in our life, we want to make sure that we have an understanding of the light that is in us and the opportunities to be his light, to share his gospel message. And we want to be aware of those times that maybe we're quenching the spirit in others' lives. Hopefully, we're aware of those when we're willfully doing it. Sometimes we do that and we don't even know it because people are always watching us as Christians. People are always judging us how we're behaving, how we're acting. And we may not know when we're causing someone to stumble. But we want to be aware of those things that we're doing that can quench the spirit in people's lives. We want to try to be able to build each other up and take care of our neighbors, having eyes to see their needs and their interests over our own. So when we think about our motivations this week, when we think about this past week and we reflect on that, What were those opportunities that we had to share the gospel message? When we think about this upcoming week, how can we we look to others' interests over our own for the sake of the gospel? Not for a check mark because pastor says, I need to do this more in my life. Not to be a people pleaser, but because you're a son and daughter of God and you've received such an awesome gift of grace that you can't just isolate yourself and keep it for yourself. I'm a lack, ha you're not. But you share that blessing with God because it is so good. And he is so good. And you want others to know that. Paul's ministry mindset, I would do anything I can in order to share the gospel message so that I might save some. How can God use you this week? Let's pray. Father, as we, as we deal with an American culture that puts me first, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be countercultural, that we would fight against those mentalities, and that you would help us to understand the servants' hearts that we have. Help us to look outside of ourselves and our issues to see the importance of salvation in everyone around us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working in our lives this week to make us more aware of those opportunities and conversations that we can have. Help us to reflect your goodness Help us to be aware of those areas that we may be causing our brothers and sisters to stumble. And Lord, if we need to have conversations, help us to have those as well. Lord, in everything that we say and do, we pray that we can bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.